Hey everybody, it's Chris here, welcoming you to another episode of the Casual Flipper Podcast. What's up everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Casual Flipper Podcast. Super pumped up for you to join me today because today I chat with Chris Mahoney, a really good friend of mine. We discuss business and mindset and entrepreneurship and flipping and all that good stuff. He's got a ton of experience to draw off. I think you really enjoy it. With no further ado, guys, let's jump into it. I picked up a bunch of stuff at the auction today. Oh, right on. Okay. I haven't, I haven't processed it yet, but I'm, I'm ready to do that. I sent a bunch of other stuff in too. And so what auction is that, Chris? It's just like there's two of them locally. One of them is ViewBid and the other one's like uh, Marner or something along those lines. Okay. Um, but no, it's good. I got... um this massive toy like i didn't realize how big this toy was but <laughs> it's probably stands three feet tall jeez what is it made by marvel marvel it's uh yeah uh, to be perfectly honest i don't know what it is i have no idea but i do know that it sells on ebay so i'm gonna sell it that's awesome i paid 30 bucks it seems like it's staying it has sustainable sales for 130 dollars oh, so wow. good margin yeah some good sick. stuff there got a bunch of more magic jacks which is sick nice and they're they're still selling good they're popping that's awesome they're popping it's actually crazy um I'm, like, I'm surprised man because that was like you know like cutting edge technology like 10 10 years ago like i i know and this model is from 2017 but it's like eight a day can can go wow so I picked up 15 more today. And then when I was leaving, they like waved me down and they were like, buddy, like we found 20 more out back. Like if you want them, they're yours. So do you buy them? I think I'm, gonna, I'm not at the spot because cash flow restrictions, but I'm getting an Amazon payout very soon. I'm probably going to go pick them up. Yeah. That's a, that's kind of like what we were. Um, Dude, that's exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. I'm running into it now. You got money tied up in things that aren't moving. Like that's, that's exactly the example I gave you. It's like, if you can sell eight of those a day, then, you know, for you to carry a week's worth of inventory. So 56 of them would be nothing. But if you don't get the cash, cause you got stuff sitting in things that, you know, might sell one a month that, you know, then you gotta, you gotta figure out how you balance that out. Right. Easier Which said than I, done. So after, after we talked about that, I went and I found um, Amazon has something called like your price competitiveness. Okay. So it's of all of inventory, how much do you have the buy box on or you're close to that buy box price? And I noticed I was at some point at 80%, which is actually very shit. You want to be like 95% to 100%. So after we were, we were talking about that, I was like, man, I got to go check out to see, you know, make sure that I'm being competitive in my pricing and it was low. So now it's at 98%. And since I've done, I've, I, now I had to drop my drawers on a lot of the books. So profits went from some of them went from, you know, $12 down to like two and $3, but now they're starting to move. Yeah. It's the most important thing right now. When your cash flow is limited, you need the cash. Yeah. You got to get, yeah, exactly. Get, get out of the stuff that's not like, and in some cases, you know, you got to take a bath on it, right? It kind of sucks, but I think you're better off. Um, yeah. Just, just assuming you're going to get what everybody else gets and get really good at finding the deals and finding the volume to make it worth your while, right? Rather than you don't put as much attention to that and just try and sell it at a higher price to, to, to keep the margin. Like, you know, it's a hope and a prayer, I exactly. think, right? So I'll pick up those, so that'll be good. It's awesome. 
in your opinion, Chris, yep. or from your point of view, yep. how do you scale a business that is low on cash flow? Because one of the things about a lot of resellers starting out is that the, lot, the main reason people get in the reselling is one, they need some side money or two, they don't have any money. And it's like you start the business and then you start scaling up. But like, how do you do that when you have very limited cash flow? Um, I think that's, I mean, it's tough, right? Like no matter what, it's, it's going to be tough. The, the background I have is in a t- very tight cash flow business, right? And, and I would say in your case, probably even more so because it's a side hustle. So you're taking money from, you know, your active income, you know, which most people don't always have a lot to spare and trying to plug it into this. So, you know, I think what you lack in cash flow, you can, you can make up in, you know, attention to, to detail, right. And, and really getting like hyper granular when it comes to, you know, the metrics, the margins, your inventory management, you know, and really understanding your, your business so that as you scale, your knowledge is not the limiting factor. It really is the cash flow factor. Like if you can prove it at, at a small scale that you understand the business, the fundamentals, you know, and the different levers that, that are going to, you know, ultimately make you successful, then, you know, as the cash starts to roll in and you're flipping that inventory over, you know, you, you, you won't run into, the challenges of, of learning certain things at a, at a certain point. Right. And money can be easy. I say easy to come by, like, you know, it's, it's not easy, but if you've got a proven model and you can prove that you, you understand the business, then, then it's easier to obtain uh, from an investor or, or however you want to do it, friends, family, you, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. And then the other thing is not burying yourself, not playing small ball to a certain degree, not, not getting too emotional in what you're doing. And, making an order that could bury you despite the potential payoff you can't afford you know even if the the upside is there you can't afford to have you know something goes so sideways that you're out of the game and you don't get a chance because at the end of the day it's it's all about how many at bats you get you know because eventually you hit one over the park but if you strike out the first at bat then and game's over you just don't get a chance exactly yeah yeah. So it's like, while you're just starting in your small guy, like understand the business. So like, you're probably going to need to learn how to use some kind of spreadsheet yep. or at least know someone that does and um, really figure out what works and what doesn't, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it, right? Try things, test things like, you know, learn from other people doing it. I mean, the good news is if you're, if you're doing something that a lot of people have already done, then there's, there's a trail of, or a path both probably good and bad of, of things that you can replicate, right? Like versus Very going true. into something that, you, you know, nobody's done before, then you're kind of figuring it out. So if you can model your behavior off of people um, and you obviously, you know, make it your own and tweak certain things and, and hope to gain an advantage, but, you know, model what you're seeing as, as success and learn along the way um, will just help you stay out of trouble early on. Right. What are some of like things that you saw as you were kind of working in like a huge business, not huge, but a good sized business. Like what are some of the, mistakes that you can kind of see from, from that point of view that like people that are in businesses already tend to make just because it maybe it's hindsight's 2020 or maybe when you get in there it's, it's harder to have a clear vision um yeah i mean there's you know there's a lot of them you know a lot of a, a lot of both good and bad like in, in the industry that i was in you know part of it came down to the fact that you know the the, the typical business owner was somebody who like i was in the, the beauty industry so the typical salon owner was it was a former stylist more often than not so they came in with a lot of technical skill about how to service clients and, and take care of people and everything um, but they did lack 
some of the business savvy that went along with it. And our, you know, the company that I worked for uh, was able to provide some of that and fill in some of the gaps, you know, but we were kind of a one-off situation. There's a lot of independent small business owners can be a salon, can be a restaurant, can be, you know, a store, um, you know, it can be anything, you know, having a, some, some foundational business knowledge ultimately is going to help, but all the theory in the world doesn't help until you kind of get, you know, into what's going on. So again, the key things that, you know, differentiated the, the successful salon owners from the ones that struggled. Um, and I think with a lot of business owners, it would be the same thing would be the fact that it, a, they, they very much understand not just you know, the service that they're providing, but, but what, you know, what are the potential risks and costs that can bury me if I don't pay attention? What are the opportunities to maximize and things that I can really influence that are going to help my business grow? And if you're not paying attention to those things, you know, you're, you're, you're just letting things happen to you instead of making Mm -hmm. it happen. And, And usually that's a recipe for disaster, unless you have a business that is new and, you know, is taken off and you just kind of like set it and forget it. But even that, will be short lived because your competition or other people will, will realize that and and they'll figure out a way to do it and and do it better. Right. So, you know, so that would be one big thing. And then the other thing was again, the cash flow management, right? Nobody has an unlimited amount of resources unless you're a massive company. And so, so just really, you know, paying attention to what is going on, whether that's, you know, your cost, your inventory, theft, I mean, you hate to, you hate to assume that, but it's all part of the risk and, 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 uh, you know, it can be a potential risk. And we had situations like that where you know, there was theft and, and it was in a range that put a, put a damper on the business, um, their ability to be able to, to, you know, pay employees, cover their, their expenses and, and debt, finance their debt and everything, you know, because somebody was skimming something along the way. And if you don't understand how your systems work and you're just relying on other people to, to take care of things, then again, you expose yourself to risk like that. That example is a swamp, but it sounds like that could apply to a lot of different businesses because if you think about it, like guys that worked at the shop, say a mechanic, they worked their whole life and then they open their own shop or, you know, there's endless examples where people kind of open their own thing, but you really, like you're saying, you got to focus on like the details of the business before you, not before, but if you want to really have a successful business, kind of getting down to those details. Something that I wanted to ask you, was there any times, this is more like a, like a more of a leadership question where you made a decision and then you thought about it afterward and you're like, man, I did not go around that the right way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Plenty, yeah. plenty of times. Right. Like for me, that was a big, a big struggle. Like, you know, just out of transparency and being candid, like, and you know me personally, Chris, but you know, my personality is relatively easygoing you know, joking, you know, but, but I can be serious if I need to be, I'm not somebody who serious or not good or bad, you know, whatever, you know, want to make somebody feel a particular way, you know, for, for any, for any reason, you know, and I think what, you know, I mean, the obvious example would be, you know, having to let somebody go or to discipline somebody or whatever. And, you know, I, I, I let, I don't know how to word it properly, but I let, I'm sure other people's expectations of what it, what it should look like to, you know, handle the situation, discipline somebody, you know, correct somebody, you know, I let their interpretation or what I believe their interpretation to be of how that should be handled affect the way that I ultimately handle the situation. You know, whether that's coming down too hard on somebody, you know, saying things that ultimately were not productive, not, not, not being immature or catty about it, but you know, whether it's trying to establish my authority or establish my, 
my rank or whatever by things I said, or, you know, rather than just stay on task, be productive. And if it is, if I do have to let somebody go, then even that can be amicable because at the end of the day, the relationship's over. Like there's no need to, you know, to, to scold somebody unnecessarily or, or things of that nature. So, so I would say it was probably that. Now, what I will say is my intentions were always in a good place, whether that was praise or scolding, right? I never praised anybody, you know, without genuinely believing that they did something correct and, you know, genuinely caring about that person and, and wanting to give them a pat on the back, whether I was their boss, their friend, anybody, right? And, and same with scolding, right? I mean, I never got after somebody that I didn't feel it was warranted. But sometimes, you know, you act and you do that in a way that may not align with your own personality or personal values. And I think for me, that added a layer of stress on top of what was already a large responsibility because you're acting out of character. And I think the farther out of character you act, that gap between who you are and, and who you're acting like, you know, can be translated pretty much directly into, into the stress you may feel in that period of time, right? So that, that's probably something I could have done differently, for sure. It's like very interesting thought. The role you had, and like a lot yeah. of people looking on the outside, might be like, oh, wow, he's so lucky. Like, he's got it so good. Like, that is. But do you feel like when you took that position, there was a difference in mindset for you? And do you feel, because look, from my point of view, watching the whole thing go down, it's like, it's it's such a, a testimony to like job or that thing can't always bring you the happiness that, you know, that would be associated with it. Because, I mean, obviously there was a path there that could lead you to a very good income. But if you're not happy that, and the shoe doesn't feel right, like, is it where the, so taking that role, like it did not fit your personality or, or maybe it did fit your personality and there's other things going on. But so yep. maybe just really quickly describe what your role was and if it kind of, you felt that almost like you're faking it in there. I don't know if you were or not. I'm just Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. So my role was uh, vice president of operations um, at a company called Salon Resource Group. And most people don't know them by that name. They know them by, uh, locally anyways, but by the head shop, HS Studio, Vitality, Medispa, uh, hair design center, which are all in the professional beauty industry. So chain of hair salons and medical spas and, and a cosmetology schools all kind of lumped under that umbrella. And so that particular role, I was somewhat acting in that role prior to actually being promoted into that role. And I will state it as a family business, you know, and the reason I say that is because the progression will make you know, more sense, right? I'm not so naive to believe, like, A, I do feel like I, I was qualified um, and had earned that role. But B, I don't know if I would have got the opportunity that I got had it not been a family business. I mean, this was kind of the succession plan from the start. And so I was kind of operating in that role prior to receiving that role. Uh, we were going through some shifts at the head office and trying to make it all work and figure out how that succession was going to play out. Um, but the big leap for me was from a, a salon leader, salon manager, where I had, I was on location, uh, you know, I had one team that I worked with um, into a role where I was managing multiple salons. Um, you know, at one point it was, it was I had nine different salons that were reporting to me and then providing support to franchises, which was, you know, another 11 salons plus a school. So, you know, to answer your question, I, yeah, when I first got involved, my ambitions and my outlook on life was very different in the sense, and, and I'd always been somebody, Chris, you and I've had many of these conversations, like, you know, very motivated, ambitious, you know, much like yourself. Uh, and I think we very much grew up in that 
generation with the onset of social media and things like that, where you see these hustlers and everybody's online and, and kind of doing their own thing. And you're very much living that right now, but I think you're doing it with a lot more balance um, because, and, and a lot more uh, transparency because what a lot of people are, are pushing is that, you know, you sacrifice your entire life, you hustle 60 hours a week, and that's a noble thing to do. And I kind of thought that that was the case too, right? It's like, I don't care if I have quality of life. I don't care if, you know, um, my health is declining because of the stress involved with the role. Uh, uh, if I have no social life. I'm not doing the things I enjoy because I'm hustling, um, you know, and I'm doing the things that nobody else is is willing to do. And I, and I kind of bought into that. And I do think you have to be willing to do things that other people aren't willing to do, but it's not noble to do it at the detriment of your happiness ultimately, right? I have to believe at some level, the people that are working that hard and making it work, they enjoy it. And I, and I quickly learned that there was elements to it that I, that I didn't um, enjoy. And so as far as the day-to-day went, there was a lot of things that fit my personality and there was a lot of things that didn't. And what I found jumping from a small team of people who I knew I felt I knew deeply, you know, that I could take care of, that I was on site with, that I managed in a, in a salon setting and I watched them day to day and, you know, could coach them based on behavior. As I rose up into a different role, I quickly started leading and managing from more of a spreadsheet and numbers um, type of perspective because I, I couldn't touch 150 people at a time under my you know, umbrella, leadership umbrella, right? You know, I had to rely on the strength of the other salon leaders, you know, some of which had the training, some of which didn't, we had some turnover there. And because, because of that turnover, you know, it created some chaos and it also created a lot of styles coming directly to me instead of going to their intermediate manager, because I was more of a stable force. I was somebody who was around, you know, part of what probably was, I was the owner's son, you know, and they, maybe they felt like things would get done if they came to me versus, you know, going to their own boss. But ultimately, it created a lot more, you know, stress on myself too, right? So parts I loved, you know, the strategic side, the people side, parts I didn't like, which were, I mean, the, obviously the disciplinary side of things, when things weren't going good, it was, it was tough. And the inability to be able to affect change from that level, you know, leading people is much different than leading other leaders because at the end of the day you got to put you got to you got to try and motivate that leader and put your hand up and hope that they're going to do as good a job as you and without the same vested interests without the same path without the same experience you know it often doesn't happen and then you're left feeling like the people that you cared so deeply about at the front level are not getting the same type of leadership that you would have provided them and it's to no fault of the the salon leader, because at the end of the day, they're, they're getting paid a fraction of what you're getting paid. You know, they, they, it may not be a long-term thing for them. They may not have grown up with the same experience. They, they, they may not feel as empowered uh, to be able to make their own decisions. Um, and so it's just, it's a tough situation with no obvious resolution. And I think what, you know, what often happens is you just accept the fact that they're not never going to get the same level of support and leadership that you would have given them. And I think for me, that just became a, uh, you know, a a conflict. And then all of a sudden, you know, managers aren't winning and, and, you know, stores aren't doing well and they're feeling defeated. And now you're, 
you're reacting to what's happening rather than making it happen. And for me, that's when it kind of started to tip in a particular direction where the stress was no longer worth it. Like I think I was in denial and traded off the stress for, for, for the wins and hitting the numbers. And, and, but then as that started to decline, you know, the scale tipped and, and all of that stress and everything was no longer worth it. Cause not only was I enduring all that stress, I wasn't winning. Right. Sounds like a major, like I hear two things. One, it sounds like you got lucky as hell because can, there's so many people that get into industries and imagine if you would have worked 12 years to get that role and now you're 45 and you get the role and you're like, holy shit, yeah. this is not what I thought it was going to be. Like, so it's kind of cool one way that you got that experience young at a young age, like and it, and it's a self-awareness game is by the sounds of it, no matter what business you're into. Um, so it sounds like you enjoyed being on the front lines, working in the salon with the people and then moving up maybe wasn't quite what you expected. And it's kind of similar to me. I've not to that extreme, but like I've done a lot of different projects. It seems like I'm always got something on the go. What I'm working on now feels the most genuine and the most sustainable because it's like true to me. It's like, it's just my personality. In the past, you know, I did like that Big Red Says podcast, all about motivation and whatever. Stuff I believe in, but it was so hard to like sustain and make content around because so it wasn't like a genuine version of myself. So it's like a self-awareness game. This is what I'm doing now. It's so easy for me because it's just who I am. And it sounds like as I'm sure you have no regrets about it. I mean, I think that and I say that to my girlfriend all the time. I say, you know, like I don't regret it for a second because I was able to go, you know, and, and right to your point, rise into that role two and a half, three short years and figure that out and, and realize that this is not ultimately what I wanted, right? I have no regrets, but I did learn a ton. I mean, I, I, did, a, I did a commerce degree at St. Mary's and you know, I learned more in three months on that job than I ever did in my entire business degree. Um, you know, and information that I'll, you know, I'm sure will take with me. Well, I'll, I'll be able to help other people with it. I'm by no means an expert, but um, you know, it taught me how to look at business different. And, and you know, whatever I involve myself in, there's an element of that there. And I know that that experience will, will translate over. So no regrets whatsoever. Well, I'll say that you and I had a call on, it was maybe a Thursday. And then after the call, I made a bunch of changes. And by Saturday, my numbers quadrupled. That's awesome. So there's something yeah, there. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, oh, happy, man. Oh, yeah. And I learned, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's, that's one side of the coin, but then, you, you know, the, the side that I am, am trying to work on is the side that you, you have, right. Which is, you know, taking the risk, making it happen, getting out there, putting yourself out there, um, you know, and ultimately pursuing something that you love, regardless of, you know, the status or the, you know, how sexy it looks or not that it doesn't look super sexy, Chris, but, but, but you know what I mean? Right. Like I, you know, you grow up in an environment, son of, an, of, a, of a successful entrepreneur, and it's like, you know, that's the path, you know, some sort of professional path, title, whatever, you know, but again, staying true to yourself, you know, how do I, how do, I do that on my own and my own thing and take that leap of faith and, and throw away any preconceived notions or, or opinion, other people's opinions of, of what that may look like. Hard, yeah, no question, right? No question. Probably my number one thing I've been working on is just like, making decisions for yourself, what feels right for you, obviously you got to be logical and practical, but I, it's probably, I mean, it is very normal in the society we live in, but there's always like, do I post this or do I not post this? Or do I make this decision or do I not make decision? There's always like that thought, like, what are people going to think about yeah. this? And like the number one thing I'm working on probably the last year is just doing what feels right to me. Because ultimately I think that's really like anyone that's doing anything is just doing 
their thing like and they don't care about all the other noise so i think that's a key thing yeah no i i agree man like that's the irony is like everyone's too focused on you know themselves to, to really be critical of other people if you find somebody who's genuinely critical of what you're doing unless you know especially if you're just doing you then they you know they got their own i mean it's cliche but they got their own stuff going on right i mean like how do you have that much time you know most people I, and I know for me, like, I, you know, I look when I see your stuff, right. I'm, I'm like, most people look in with envy and it's like, man, I would, you know, I wish I was, I wish I was doing that myself. I wish I had the balls to make it happen. Like, you know, even if it's small scale, you know, I think that's, I think that's a big barrier for people is they see the end result of a lot of these people's success, whether it's the production value, the, the cars, the whatever, and, and you know, everybody's goals is, are, are different, but they see a finished product. Um, because it had to be finished by the time it actually made it to them. But, but a lot of them started just like everybody else. And, and, uh, so, so, you know, you can't get too caught up on that. Right. Well, yeah. It's like when they say like, uh, everyone wants to be, uh, LeBron, but no one wants to go and shoot hoops at three in the morning for hours right. every single day. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's true. And I know what yeah, it yeah, for sure. Yeah. But anyway, I know you got to take off. I got the little guy here. No so. Worries. And anyway, I appreciate you hopping on the call. Yeah, it's always uh, inspiring for me to kind of hop on the call with you. So I appreciate yeah, I appreciate it, it too, man. I, I uh, always enjoy our chats and looking forward to more of it for sure. Boom. I'll chop this up and make you sound like a real villain. Awesome. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> I not expect anything less. <laughs> All right, All right bro. We'll yeah. Take care, man. All right, guys. Really hope you enjoyed that. Remember, you can find me on Instagram. Facebook. I just started a new Facebook group. It's for new resellers to meet new people and learn the hustle and stuff like that. So that's available if you want to, you know, get in that. Uh, search it on Facebook and, or just hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. I'll invite you. No problem at all. Um, the Casual Flipper on all the social media. Go find me. I appreciate it. Leave a review if you got time. Otherwise, guys, I hope you really enjoyed this. Any content you want me to create, feel free. Let me know, guys. Anyway, I'm out. See you next time.